purpose is not marketing. It, it's an important distinction to me to that that we not think of it as marketing. In fact, I would say companies that think of it as marketing are more likely to wind up on our podcast. For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolian. There is often a sizable gap between what companies say they stand for and what they actually do. Ty Montague calls this regrettable space bullshit, otherwise known as purpose washing. As co-founder, chairman, and chief purpose officer at Co-Collective, a creative and strategic transformation firm, Ty is concerned about the growing number of brands that talk a good game about purpose, but fail to drive any meaningful action. He calls out some of these brands for their lack of authenticity and explores how to avoid the purpose washer label through his aptly named podcast, Calling Bullshit. Ty, named one of the top 10 creative minds in business by Fast Company, joins me to discuss the rise of purpose washing, what he's hearing from consumers about this issue, how marketers can activate purpose more authentically, and much more. Ty, welcome to Beyond Profit, and congratulations on the first season of your podcast. I appreciate that, Ken. It's great to be here with you. Calling bullshit. What a fantastic name for a podcast. Tell me about the <laughs> genesis, genesis of it and uh, why the timing is right. Yeah. So uh, this will take just a second to unpack because, you know, 10 years ago or now almost 12 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, when we started Co Collective, purpose was known. It was a thing, but it wasn't widely known or widely talked about in business. And so when we, we, we started talking about it with leadership teams and CEOs, we got a lot of funny looks. And over the ensuing decade, um, it has become much more widely understood and much more widely used term. And when you have I would I would mark the moment that Larry Fink at BlackRock started talking about it and and talking about it in his letter to to CEOs. That would be the point when purpose went mainstream and where every company and every CEO um, since BlackRock owns so you know pieces of so many different companies, every CEO suddenly sat up and said, "Well, I'm not sure what that is, but I, I think we need one." And that raises the specter of purpose washing when people, are adopting it, be, you know, and I'm not saying that all have, but some certainly have gone, well, Larry Fink says I need one, I'm going to go get one. And and so it means that there are people out there who really don't mean what they say. And so we just wanted to try to, to I guess, maintain some authenticity to the word because it's so easy to have a word get turned into oatmeal through kind of misuse. And so as a part of our process with clients, we help them define not only their their purpose, but we also help them define their enemy because their your enemy, once you know it, can be uh, very energizing. And you know, knowing the dragon that you're setting out to slay every day, uh, and by enemy we don't mean competitor, we mean idea, belief, emotion. What 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 is it that you're trying to remove from the world or fight against? And so we put ourselves through our own process and we decided that at Co-Collective, our enemy is bullshit. And, mm -hmm. you know, which we define as the, as the gap between word and deed. When we started the company, we, we consciously tried to move away from communications because it's so easy 
uh, for a company to use advertising to say one thing and then actually do something else. And so that's, we define this term story doing as a way of saying you need to align your actions with your purpose. And if you do that, you know, you're, you, you are a purpose-led company and a story doer and people will, you will build trust with your customers. And if you don't do that, you will corrode trust. And so, you know, we're also not trying to just curse the darkness. We want to light candles and, and, and in every episode, as, as you know, if we call bullshit on a company, we also ideate with some genuine subject matter experts ways in which that company could change their behavior to pull themselves back in line. Well, with substantiation, Ty, you've called out several big name uh, brands and companies as purpose washers. Are you having any type of blowback from that effort? Have you lost clients as a result of that? Or do you do you feel it just you know through honesty that it actually it has the reverse effect? Yeah, I mean, not we haven't lost any clients that I'm aware of because of it. I think I think that you know if we have, they didn't they didn't tell me. Um, but I I think that obviously when you take a position like this in the world, it would be it would be understandable if some of the companies that we called out got crabby about it. None of them. We offer all of them the opportunity. We tell them we're doing an episode and we ex- we ask them if they want to come on and be a part of the conversation. So far, all have turned us down. And because we consciously also, if we're going to call bullshit on somebody like Candles and say, look, these are the just bullshit. You know, one of our founding theses is bullshit is a treatable condition, right? right? It's a thing that you can change if you just change your behavior. And so hopefully we leave people, even the even the companies in question, or maybe especially the companies in question, we leave them in a hopeful place because we really don't believe it's permanent. We believe that they could change their ways if they wanted to. And if they decide not to do business with us as a result of having been featured on the podcast, that's a, that's a price we're willing to pay just because if we claim to be about purpose and and helping companies be purpose led and we're doing business with companies who are clearly purpose washing mm-hmm. then that's bad for our brand um sure. and 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 it would be short sighted of us to not take that position i think are you seeing companies that you featured change their ways in some measurable form so what we're doing is we're it's still early days. Change takes time, right? And yeah. and so what we do is we're we're tracking along with all the companies. There's a, if you go to the website callingbullshitpodcast.com, we we have created the bullshit index where we list all the companies. We give every company a score. And we also indicate whether that arrow is headed in a good direction or in a bad direction. And then we're tracking, you know, news and updates on them in real time. And and we're doing update episodes. So we just dropped, or actually today, I just recorded, we haven't dropped it yet, a a quick update on on Jewel. In this case, Mm -hmm. when we dropped the Jewel episode, we gave them a score of, I think, 49 or 50 which is a middle of the road for us on our scale. Zero is the ultimate score, zero bullshit. A hundred is the worst total bullshit. And, and Jewel was right in the middle because they did create a great product that could actually have helped smokers quit smoking. The big flaw in their plan was they marketed it to young people who generally at the time were not smoking. And so they introduced an entire generation, a new generation who hadn't been hooked on nicotine is now hooked on nicotine compliments of Juul. 
So uh, they were there was pending uh, a pending ruling coming from the FDA at the time, and the FDA has subsequently ruled and said that Juul has to take all of its products off of the market in the U.S. They are contesting that ruling, so we'll see where all that lands. Which is a long way of saying we haven't seen a, a company turn it around completely in the time that we've been doing the podcast, but we've definitely uh, seen some of the things that we said were going to happen, happen. Uh, another thing that we predicted was that Facebook was going to start to lose traction. And uh, if you look at Facebook's stock price, you know, one of the things that we said in the second Facebook episode that we did was that heretofore, the only group that had not suffered from from Facebook's uh, bad behavior were Facebook investors. Facebook investors have done very well out of Facebook's bad behavior. But our prediction was, based on the level of bad behavior that we were seeing, that they were going to begin to destroy shareholder value, which is indeed happening right now. Yeah. You can go out and check my math on that in the in, yeah. in popular culture. But they are losing ground and their stock price is, is down significantly. Tell me how your listeners and other brand leaders are reacting to the fact that you are addressing uh, purpose washing. Well, so some some people obviously are are very excited about it. Um, you know, we also do positive episodes because we're trying to build a toolkit as a sort of another way to think about what we're trying to do. We do episodes where we feature companies that we believe are getting it completely right, and in those episodes, we feature an interview with the CEO and talk about how they do what they do. So. In season one, we talked to Russell Diaz-Conseco from Vital Farms, and we talked to Joey Zwillinger from Allbirds. And in season two, I talked with Alan Jope from Unilever, and um, I talked to the founders of an organization called Chief. And, you know, obviously, you know, what you feel when you talk with leaders of genuinely purpose-led organizations is that this is a growing movement and they are delighted to participate in a, in a podcast that delineates between companies that really mean it and companies that may not really mean it. Because it makes, in a way, it takes makes the job of a truly purpose-led company harder when other companies, when everybody is suddenly saying that they're purpose-led and some of them aren't. Because the more confused consumers are about this, the worse off truly purpose-led businesses are. So they're very happy that to, to see that we're trying to clarify things. It's great that you're talking to these CEOs and that they're showing so much passion for purpose. Isn't that really where it starts in purpose-led organizations right from the top? 100%. I mean, that's that's the other thing um, that I think is, is important to say. Purpose is not marketing. The marketing world has picked up on purpose and talks about it a lot, and it's it's kind of the dance sensation that's sweeping the nation. But but it, it's an important distinction to me to that that we not think of it as marketing. In fact, I would say companies that think of it as marketing are more likely to wind up on our podcast because the purpose is the job of the entire leadership team up to and including the ceo because a purpose need, needs it, it it's not a thing that you do a campaign about it's a or a thing that you carve in a wall in your lobby it's it's a thing that it, it's a tool that you use to make decisions about 
every action that you're taking as a business every day. And so it has to be owned by the, the entire leadership team of the company, owned and evangelized by the entire leadership team of the company. And so companies that try to make it the domain of marketing or communications run the, run the risk of not behaving in truly purpose-led ways and getting called out for it. I had mentioned to you before the show that the ANA Center for Brand Purpose had released principles for avoiding purpose washing. And chief among them is that ensuring that purpose is foundational to all brand activities, functions, strategies, and goals, sort of what you were alluding to there. I'd like you to share a little more perspective about that, where it has to be integrated in everything you do. If you could just elaborate a little more. It probably best to just talk about the way that we have organized ourselves at Co-Collective to address that because, um, you know, we very consciously need to have the ability to work with everyone, both inside the company and, and outside to make sure that a purpose is, is enacted. And so we have a team that is referred to at Co as brand and business and, and brand and business team helps clients define and align on the purpose. They work with leadership teams to do that. We have a practice uh, called organization and culture design. Mm-hmm. So that team works with, you know, the head of people or, or the head of HR and, and that person's entire organization to make sure that the purpose is understood and absorbed and and actioned, you know, operationalized within the business. And then we have an experienced team that is uh, tasked with helping our clients instantiate their purpose throughout their customer experience outside of the uh, outside of the four walls of the business. So every aspect of the customer experience, the products that you make, the services that you provide, in some cases, your business model should be informed by your purpose. And so uh, we try to take a, 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 a fairly holistic approach to, you know, first of all, the development of a purpose. It needs to be really uh, adopted by the entire organization and then to the instantiation and operationalization, if that's a word of the mm-hmm. purpose. So adopted by the, the entire organization, I couldn't agree with you more, critically important. Yeah. Who is responsible for ensuring that there's momentum behind purpose? We talked about that the CEO has to buy in and it filters down, but is there a group or groups that are responsible for making sure that this is just a constant thing and there are no hiccups along the way? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And I'm not sure I have a satisfying answer for that. I mean, my, my, my short answer is, in my observation would be in the companies that I talk to that I would consider to be truly purpose-led, it actually is the CEO. The CEO is the person who is the chief purpose evangelist. They talk about it publicly and internally all the time. It's present in their leadership team meetings and they use it as a tool to define action. And so in in the best purpose-led companies, the purpose has a seat at the leadership table. It's almost a member of the leadership team is sort of the way to think about it. And 
everyone around the table uh, in the same way that they would have each other's backs, have the purposes back and are thinking about the purpose and, and making sure that the purpose is instantiated. And in companies that try to put it into a department, although that is the neat way to do it, and I understand why on an organizational chart there's a desire to do it because then you can budget for it and 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 things like that, it tends to get siloed and therefore a little bit lost. And so it needs to be really clearly present at the level of the leadership team all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, a CEO could delegate that to the chief strategy officer or to the chief operating officer would be another place for it to live. But another way to think about a really good purpose, and this is, I think, why you know this, but but I think it's it's why a lot of founder-led businesses get in trouble when the founder leaves. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the, fa- the, the purpose of an organization often lives inside the founder. And mm-hmm. one of the really important tasks, if a, if a company is going to make the transition to being management-led, you know, beyond the, 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 the kind of tenure of the founder, is that that purpose be truly codified and treated as if it were, you know, the spirit of the founder or the, you know, fundamentally the founder by proxy. And, and if, unless it's given that level of importance inside the organization, it will erode over time. And the business tends to, in that case, lose its way and, and perform not as well. And so it's an old story, right? The founder leaves and the company falls apart and gets sold and disappears. And then you see the opposite with what just happened with Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard, who was like, nope, we're going to, the purpose is the thing, you know, another way to put it is, is, you know, Earth is now the greatest shareholder in Patagonia. The planet itself is the greatest shareholder in Patagonia. And by enshrining the purpose of the company in that way, he guarantees that all of the activity moving forward will continue to deliver against that purpose, though he will be long gone. I was so inspired by that. You know, the fact that a person could walk away and his kids could walk away from, you know, that amount of money. And, and I think it's something I've been reflecting a lot on personally. It's like, I think all of us are going to need to start to really think about that and what we really value, uh, and, and what we really care about. Um, cause we live in a world that where we, we, we worship a lot of false idols at this point, I would say we, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, obsessing about billionaires and, uh, in some ways we've lost the plot. So I, I think the more examples like the example of Yvonne, uh, that we can, we can kind of, um, pay attention to and reflect on the better off we'll be. Hello, Beyond Profit listener. Calling Bullshit is the first podcast focused exclusively on purpose washing, and it's well worth a listen. On each episode, the podcast digs into the difference between what organizations say they stand for and the actions they are actually taking. Listen to expert panels investigate companies like Jewel and Airbnb, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. You mentioned a founder leaving or perhaps, you know, brands losing their way with purpose. Do you tell them to 
to harken back to the founder's story, if at all possible, if it's not codified, is there a way to, to yeah, lean back into that? Of course. Yes. Well, and so, you know, that's part of, that's the other thing about purpose development for, for us. And, and I believe it's, it's true universally is that it's not a thing that you can make up, yeah. right? It's a thing that you have to excavate. It's an archeological <laughs> project in a company where the founder is departed to, right dig in there right and and really figure out like what was the thing that animated the creation of this organization and really drove it forward and got everybody out of bed and psyched to show up every day and then like let's let's find that thing let's let's dust it off let's you know figure out how to cast it in a modern context and let's let's reinstate it in its proper place which is the you know the north star the thing that we're all we're all using to guide us forward. What is the one thing, Ty, in your mind that brands get wrong about activating purpose, even if their heart is in the right place? I think there's a natural, and this is because of of mass media and technology, there is a natural predisposition on the part of companies to talk first and act later. In other words, it's so easy to do an ad campaign about, you know, what you stand for in the world. And it's so hard to actually drive change through your organization and make sure that you really are standing for it before you make communications about it. And so I think the the number one warning that I would give to any company is make sure you're doing it before you say it. And it's okay if you're doing it partway and and saying it, uh, you know, talking about what you're doing partway, so long as you're really transparent about the parts that you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Transparency will, will help a lot. I remember, you, you know, this is a, a, an old story, but it's, it's, a, it's a great one about the, <laughs> there's a company called Interface Textiles, the world's most boring company. They make, they make carpet tiles. And uh, it was run by a, company, a guy named Ray Anderson. And, and um, he, in like 1995, he set the goal for the company to be a zero environmental harm company by the year 2020. So way ahead of his time in terms of, taking on uh, environmental issues and and textiles and carpet making in particular are highly polluting uh, uh, industries. And so his first act, he he went to his leadership team and said, we're going to do this. We're going to clean this up by 2020. And they said, how are we going to do that, Ray? And he said, I have no idea. That's your job. Go figure it out. And then his second act was to publish that goal on their website and say, like, we're going to transparently show you where we are on this journey every step of the way. And right now we are at step zero, right? right? We are a polluter. And by just being transparent and telling people where you're really at, what your aspirational goal is, but where you really are on it, warts and all, will buy you a ton of time and trust from people. It's if you try to take credit for being something that you're not, people will sniff that out eventually and you will be you will get yourself in trouble. So, you know, the order is have an ambitious goal. People love uh, an inspiring and ambitious goal, but start to do it before you start to say it and and make sure that you're being transparent about the parts you're not doing if you do that. You mentioned trust, keyword Something oh gosh, that you've yeah. it's something that you've identified and talked about in your podcast. Yeah. And that goes for all stakeholders, 
right? Consumers, customers, employees, et cetera, board of directors. Does that often get lost? The fact that you got to be thinking about every stakeholder and not just a subset of them? I think, yes. I, I think it's less well understood. I think what is, and this is just my guess, based on just people I bump into in the world. I, most companies now understand that they need a purpose statement, that it needs to be bold and ambitious and positive sounding and and have words in it like inclusive and right. And so everybody knows they need one of those. And I think that the part that people miss is that the whole point of being a purpose-led company is to address some of the problems that we face in the world today. And the problems that we face at their root, they're driven by the form of capitalism that we currently practice. Mm -hmm. We we currently practice, I, I think the, the formal name for it is neoliberal economics, uh, driven by Milton Friedman and, and some friends of his. And he declared in 1972 that the sole purpose of a corporation was to maximize profits for shareholders and that any other use of proceeds was, to quote him, pure, unadulterated socialism. Sure. And for some reason, everybody listened to Milton Friedman, and we've spent the last 50 years externalizing cost and breaking unions and ruining the the uh, environment and, and um, you know, and, and, and. That form of capitalism has to end. It has to end. We are in an existential crisis. It's not that it would be nice if it ended. It's not that it would be convenient. Like it, it, it is, it's now becoming a survival issue for us and all the other living species on the planet. And so the point of being purpose-led is to begin to practice a different form of capitalism, which is stakeholder capitalism, mm -hmm. where you take into consideration the community that you do business in and how well well your employees are doing and also how all of your partners are doing. And you try not to externalize cost. You try to actually take responsibility for the problems that you're creating in the world. Paul Pullman says that he calls it a net positive company, but I would consider that to be a, a, a synonym for a purpose-led company. It's a company that makes money, that makes its money solving the world's problems instead of creating them. And in order to do that, you have to see to a whole bunch of stakeholders who are not your shareholders. And that is complicated if you're a for-profit business, but it's not impossible. And you can see there are great examples of that working in the world today. I was speaking with Alan Jope, who has, you know, had a bumpy ride lately, I think. He's had his own activist investors who are giving him a hard time about short-term profitability. But if you look at the arc of Unilever, starting with Paul Pullman and now under under uh, Alan Jope, and you look at where the growth is coming from at that company mm -hmm. and has always and has come from for the past, you know, 20 years, it's in the purpose-led brands. And Alan said that the, that the purpose-led brands are are growing at three times the rate of the not of the regular brands. And so it's it's absolutely not the case that you have to think more uh, about being less profitable as a business 
But you do have to think in order to deliver those kinds of results, you have to think about more stakeholders. Great answer. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I want to switch gears just a, a tad here. Can you just talk about the importance of baking purpose into the hiring, the training and review processes? I think that's often overlooked. I think probably if I were a CEO, the number one thing I would be worried about is talent acquisition, right? Because uh, this is another thing Alan said to to me in the interview recently, that Gen Zennials really mean it, you know, that they've done a bunch of research that will show that boomers don't care and and they'll be honest with you that they don't care. And Gen Xers will say they care, but they don't really care. And millennials care, but they're very price sensitive. But Gen Zennials put purpose before anything. And so mm -hmm. if I'm recruiting for the next generation of talent for my company out of the Gen Zennial talent pool, being purpose-led is and being authentically purpose-led is a is will give you an unfair advantage. And so defining your your purpose and then making sure that that purpose is instantiated in ways that get the attention of the next generation of talent and 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 inspire them is a, is a is a way of of getting a leg up on your on your competition. I want to go back to something you you mentioned earlier about transparency and and you were quoted at one point saying that people today are looking at transparency not perfection from companies and I think that's really really important. Can you just talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting how business has changed, right? In in um I'm I'm uh, starting to <laughs> get older now and so I've been around for a while and the thing is is back in the day you know, it seemed like the way that a corporation wanted to portray itself and in some cases needed to portray itself was as this perfect ordered machine-like system, you know, where there were no flaws and everybody was happy and everybody made money and everything was cool. And that wasn't true then, but now what the next generation of talent really want is authenticity. They want to see what it's really like. Right. And they want you to be real about what you're managing to get done and what you're not managing to get done. And so that it turns out that CEOs who, you know, demonstrate humility and demonstrate vulnerability and demonstrate um, that they are unafraid to point out the flaws of their own company actually do better. Right. Mm -hmm. Not only in attracting the next generation of talent, but delivering the results that that all of their stakeholders want to see. And so the expectations on leaders in terms of transparency have completely changed. You know, when, when I started in in the advertising business back in the day, you would never like if if somebody asked a CEO to speak out on a on a social or environmental issue, Everybody knew the CEO's job was to just shut the hell up, like to say as little as possible about any of those things. And today, young people want CEOs to speak out. 80% of, of Gen Zennials say that 
they want to do business with companies where the CEO is actively taking stands on on political and environmental matters. Mm. So that's a huge change. And it's another, um, in a way, a burden, but but in seen in another light, a, a kind of um, relief in a way, if you're the kind of person who doesn't mind letting a little of it hang out there. And uh, so I think that's fascinating. And I, I don't really know where that's going or how far it will go. But I, I do know that you know, the, the way to build trust with young people today is to just tell them what, what, what's what, like mm-hmm. where you're getting it right and where you're getting it wrong and what you plan to do about the, the places where you're getting it wrong. Would you agree, Ty, that measuring the results of your purpose initiatives is part of being transparent? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think you, you need to set, that's the other thing, you know, back to everybody knows they want a purpose. The question is, what are you going to measure differently as a result of having that purpose? What are your KPIs? And then where are you publishing those? How easy is it, is it to, for me to know whether you're hitting those targets or not? Or have you set targets like, you know, this is, we did an episode on BP and, and BP has lots of great sounding climate targets, you know, in 2050. So it's like, we're not going to be able to know if they're hitting their targets until then, unless they do a really good job of saying, well, to get to 2050, we've got to be here by this year. And so this is where we're at. We're missing or we're, we're, they're not doing enough of that. I would say to gain uh, certainly my trust, I, I can't speak for others, but I, I, um, I think some of the things that BP has been saying lately, as well as most, you know, many of the oil companies are, are deeply suspect because they set their targets too far out. They need to, your targets need to be clear and they need to be achievable and they need to be, you know, you need to monitor progress and publish regularly on progress toward them. Uh, lastly, Ty, to, to bring this episode full circle, what will it take to go from purpose washing to purpose doing, as you've mentioned? Yeah, I think just greater understanding. You know, right now, purpose, I, I, I hope it's not this, but I fear that it lives almost in the realm of a fad. And um, I hope that people don't become jaded. You know, I, I've noticed recently that if you, even the topic of purpose washing lately, journalists in some cases go like, oh, purpose washing, yeah you know, kind of eye roll. What, 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 what new thing do you have to talk to me about? And it's like, no, this is really important. I, I, that's what I want to talk about because this is super important, right? Like it's, we're talking about the future of humanity here. So I think we're in a, a phase of confusion where lots of people are very excited about the term. Some people are tired of hearing the term and people have misunderstandings about what the term actually means. And so, you know, being clear and consistent, I love that you, 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 you've done the work around establishing, right. What, how not to, you know, what are the principles for not purpose washing? The more organizations that do that and th- that expose that kind of thinking to clients, the better off we'll all be because, at the end of the day, just returning to my my slightly doomy theme, like this is not about fashion or marketing. This is about, you know, some existential changes that we need to make to our entire system. Right. And if we don't take it seriously, I am concerned for us. 
I thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your insights and perspectives. Uh, Ken, I appreciate your having me here. And thank you for the great questions. If you want to learn more about Ty's podcast, please visit callingbullshitpodcast.com. That's callingbullshitpodcast.com. I would also encourage you to download six principles for avoiding purpose washing at ana.net slash purpose washing. Until next time, thanks for listening.